following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. I'm sure at some point in your life, everybody in the room wanted to be someone else. Obviously, when you're a kid, uh, many of you wanted to be Spider-Man or Superman or the Incredible Bulk, that kind of thing. When you came to Christ, maybe you wanted to be like King David, make me like David, or maybe you want to be the prophet Daniel or maybe the Apostle Paul. As you begin a little bit of uh, understanding of church history, maybe you wanted to emulate Hudson Taylor or Martin Luther or Jonathan Edwards or Charles Spurgeon or Mrs. Spurgeon. And as you grew and learned about current writers, maybe you wanted to be that John Piper or that uh, Al Mohler, John MacArthur, Jerry Bridges, Elizabeth George, or Nancy DeMoss. But when you begin to think about becoming someone else, what we don't often consider, what we really neglect in our thinking, what we forget about those men and women that we want to emulate, is that what it takes for them to become that person. We look at their lives and we think, I'd like to be that Christ-like, but we don't take into account the pain, the suffering, the trials, the struggles, the difficulties that they had to experience in order to become that godly man or that godly woman. In other words, to grow spiritual muscle, you've got to lift the weights of heavy trials. To grow spiritual muscle, you've got to lift the weights of heavy trials. And that's the goal of James as he begins this wonderful little book back toward the end of your New Testament. So open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of James, chapter 1, and follow along in your outline this morning as we begin to dive in to verses 2 through 4. Jewish believers were in the Roman world. They were scattered, and they were experiencing a lot of unjust treatment by government. Uh, There was the loss of their land, which was their livelihood. Uh, The loss of safety. They had increased threats against them, both from their own people as well as from foreign people. They had the inability to feed their families. Some were driven from their homes and their safety of that. They lost their possessions, and some were even exploited by the rich, which will be talked about in James as well. And these mainly Jewish believers faced a lot of disunity and a lot of difficulty and a lot of greed. These tests of faith were tearing apart these little gatherings of Christians that were taking place in Israel and around the world. And these earliest churches were succumbing to the pressures that were hitting them not only outside but also inside the church. So how were they responding? How do you respond when you have a trial, when it pops up? What's your first reaction They were responding with resistance, rebellion. They were protesting. They were angry. They were manipulating. They were whining. They were pouting. They were complaining. They were trying to move to Texas. Well, maybe not Texas, but a better place. They were depressed. They were sour. They, they, They attacked back. They responded in the flesh. And so James starts his little letter by going for the throat. He says that's not the way to respond. In fact... He calls all Christians to choose to respond differently than everybody else. Differently. 
to those difficult trials, that suffering, that persecution, we should react. I mean, when that guy changes lanes on the freeway, you need to react differently. In fact, not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Verse 2, with joy. Choose joy. Verse 3, to comprehend the reasons for this unique Christian-only response. And verse 4, to have confidence that by responding with joy to trials will result in your growth in Christ so that you will become that godly man. You'll become that godly woman that you've always wanted to become. So take a look at verses 2 through 4 and circle the three verbs that are there. Verse 2, circle the word consider, consider. In verse 3, circle the word knowing, knowing. And then verse 4, the verb let. You got it? Consider, knowing, and let. That drives our outline. And so now if you would, read aloud these verses with me. Verses 2, 3, and 4 of the book of James, chapter 1. Let's read it together. Here we go from your outline. Everyone, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You and I desperately need this passage. This is one of the main ways that we put Christ on display. We all struggle with trials. Can I hear an amen to that? We do, and only those who respond in the Spirit with joy grow from them. So from big and small trials, James says, number one in your outline, choose to react differently. Choose to react differently. Sometimes we miss the point and come off weird. We kind of come off odd. We come off unusual uh, as Christians. Some read in the scriptures that we should be sober, and so they look like they're marinated in pickle juice all the time, like this couple. Is that, is that slide in there? There they are. Yeah. You don't want to look like that, okay? You can take that away. Uh, some know that they should be dignified, so they never laugh. They never enjoy themselves, and those overreactions tend to give believers a bad reputation. But Christ commands Christians to manifest good qualities and some well-known qualities that are super attractive and give us a reputation that actually is attractive to those who are without Christ. We're to be known for our love. Now, love is not accepting everybody's sin. Love is sacrificial action, caring for the genuine needs of another. Another definite quality that we're supposed to be put on display is joy. And James here commands you and commands me to react with joy to our suffering, our persecution, our injustice. How many of you, honestly, this week felt pressure? You just felt pressure in some way. Can I see your hands? The word trial here is the word pressure. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about what you're going through in life, everyday life, I want you to react to with joy, with joy. In fact, It'll make us a little odd, but it'll prove that you're a Christian. It'll grow you into a godly person, and it will make you an incredible witness for Jesus Christ. James 1-2 says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. When life gives you lemons, what do you do? Make lemonade. That's right. True faith shines when you respond with joy to the difficulties in your life. Now, James is giving us an intimate command here. He says, my brethren, uh, James is the first letter in the New Testament, and the church is primarily made up of Jews at this time. 
My brethren is my Jewish brothers, with a few Gentiles scattered in there. But the inspired word of God, inspired by the Spirit of God, this letter is for all believers, all the brethren of all time. And how should you react when there is difficulty or pressure in your life? Well, he says, consider it all joy. James is giving you a command to act upon yourself. You might want to write that down. You are to act upon yourself to manifest joy. It's middle voice, so you make the choice. You make the decision. You act upon yourself. You decide for yourself. You determine joy. It's a choice. Don't wait for a feeling. That's not going to happen. Don't put your hope in circumstances. Uh, You you don't collapse into depression because the world's treating you badly. You, You don't wait for somebody else to get elected. You don't manufacture a smiling face, then keep worrying, fearing, dying internally. A thousand times no, he says, choose joy. Joy. Now, the normal response to trials is not joy. It's not. So you must make a choice to face trials with joy. You do it. That's what he's saying here. You do it. You say, Lord, I'm trusting you. Lord, I'm relying on your promises. Lord, I'm relying on your word and what you say. I'm depending on your Holy Spirit. So in the strength of the Spirit, I determine to manifest joy in this trial. The next time you've got a trial, it's, Lord, how can I glorify you in this trial? You're asking that question. When he says, consider it all joy, the Greek word for all means what? That's right. It means all, every. It means whole. It means unmixed, not some joy and grief. Not a little joy and some disappointment, but all joy. All joy. James Montgomery Boyce says joy is based on the knowledge of who God is and what he has done for us in Christ. Happiness is dependent upon circumstances, while joy is not. John MacArthur says joy is a deep, abiding, inner thankfulness to God for his goodness that is not diminished or interrupted when less than desirable circumstances intrude on one's life. Mueller said, (laughs) joy comes from knowing that you're loved. Joy comes from knowing that you're cared for by a Savior who's in total control of every second of your life. Absolute control. Being all-wise never makes a mistake, and being all-powerful, the sovereign God, orchestrating every single detail of your life providentially for your good and his glory, all proven by a salvation given to you before the foundation of the world type joy. That's joy. Joy is a gift from God. Joy is a part of your new nature as a born-again believer. Joy is the character and fruit of the indwelling Holy Spirit. The joy of the Lord is my strength, Nehemiah 8. Now listen, joy is yours to access in Christ, to access in Christ. In fact, but you must choose to manifest it. You must make that call. Where where the hang-up is is somehow you're waiting for God to do something when he's saying, I want you to act on this. So when do you act? James chapter 1, verse 2 says, when you encounter various trials. Not on your birthday, on your bad day, Right? Difficulties, trials, suffering, pressure are not only inevitable, they're promised. They're absolutely promised in the scripture. David said, Psalm twenty-two, eleven: be not far from me for trouble is near. (laughs) 
Okay, trouble is near. Trouble's in the parking lot right out there. It's waiting. Now, you're not home yet. In fact, uh, you're not basking in heaven's perfection yet. The Bible says even in marriage, in this life, you will have trouble, 1 Corinthians 7. And note, James doesn't say if when you encounter various trials. He says what? When you encounter various trials. James uses the word encounter there. It's a participle of probability. And what he's saying is that encounter means when trials might fall all around you, when trials happen all over you, sometimes you fall into trials, you make the trial happen. Other times, trials just fall on all, all, all over you, right? Life is like that. And interesting enough, like a tree in the fall, dropping its leaves, we all have seasons when we're overwhelmed by the number of trials. Sometimes it's not the number of trials, but it's the intensity of a single trial that we're facing. But we will encounter trials. They'll fall around us. The Greek word encounter is used in Luke 10, a very familiar story, to describe the Good Samaritan who fell, who encountered robbers. Isn't that exactly what trials are like? <laughs> you're happily walking along in life, and then bam, you're beaten up by a gang of trials. Ever happened to you like that? It's just, what happened? Life was so good. And James even adds to the number of trials and the intensity that your trials are going to be unique. He says varied. You see it there? When you encounter various trials. And it's using a word describing Joseph's many colored coat. Our trials are different. They're variegated. They're unique. Trials come in many shapes, many sizes, many shades, many degrees of intensity. So it forces you to do this. When you're having a trial, you have to remember who God is. You have to remember who God is. God is not only sovereign, but he is actively providentially in control of every single second of your life he is provident the lord is orchestrating everything and he's so mighty our god is so awesome that he orchestrates the people around you even what they say to you what they do to you he orchestrates the circumstances of your daily life to create the perfect designer trials Christians don't have trials. They have designer trials. It's Prada. It's Louis Vuitton trials. Okay? It's, it's, it's Nordstrom trials. These are high-end. High-end. Chanel. Do you understand? Uniquely fitted for you. Perfectly fitted for you to grow into that godly man or woman. It's not somebody else's. It's yours. He's that sovereign. He's that providential. Romans 8, 28, you know it. Do we really believe it? We know that God causes all things, that includes trials, to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. It's various trials, perfect trials. And that trial that you're going through right now, those robbers, or I mean those bullies that beat you up at school, that unjust boss that ruined your job or your job shift change or the expectations now at your employment or that marriage that you thought would be bliss has now turned more like a blister. Uh, those children who used to say, yes, mommy, and yes, daddy, now who ignore you. Uh, the, all of that is orchestrated. It is allowed or pre-designed by God to prove your faith, to grow you into Christ-likeness, to cause you to become a fantastic witness for Christ trials are designed for you they're chosen by God specifically to grow you specifically 
So choose joy. Respond in joy. Internally be thankful for the varied trials that God gives you. James 1, 2, consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Again, one more time. It's so fun for me. When I look at the Greek text, it actually says the word trials is pressure. And that really helped me this week because every week I experience pressure. Don't you? It was just like, oh, I'm pressured by this. I'm like, oh, that's a trial. Okay. Okay. So this is helpful for me. It, it means the stresses of life. It can be internal pressure. It could be external pressure. It could be financial pressure, physical pressure, physical issues, physical illness, disappointments. It could be criticism, external pressure like that, or fear, or stressful relationship kind of pressure. But the Greek word trial hints of trouble, something that breaks your peace, something that upsets your comfort, that strains your joy, and it invades your life. It invades it like a disease. That's the trials he's talking about. The verb form of the Greek noun trial kind of shows us what God's doing, because the verb form of this word is to put you to the test. That's what God's doing when he allows us. He's putting you to the test to discover what you're really like, right? Shows what you're really like when you're under the heat, right? And we can all be real pleasant when it's nice, but when we're under the heat, we kind of show who we really are. And some of you are going, that's very depressing. Yes, yes, that's the motivation to expose your true nature. Trials are so savage at x-raying who you really are, right? They just kind of show you who you are. And your reaction will prove if you're saved or if you're pretending. In the parable of the sower, Matthew 13, some of the gospel seed fell on soil that looked like a real Christian was born, but when the trials, afflictions, and persecutions hit, a so-called person, the so-called Christian, the professor, fade away from the faith. And that's Matthew 13, verse 20. And one on whom the seed was sown on rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when afflictions or persecutions arise because of the word, immediately he what? Falls away. He shows he wasn't a Christian in the first place. So when difficulties hit, choose joy. Determine to be joyful. Focus on the promises of God. Promises of God's word. Trust the Lord. Now, joyful doesn't mean you're giddy. It doesn't mean you're silly. It doesn't mean you're ready to crack a joke. It means that you have a soft confidence that God's in control, that he orchestrates your life, and that he loves you desperately, and this is all intentional on his part. Joy. Joy. God sacrificed everything to save you. He's, he's not going to now abandon you in your trial. Uh, depend on God's Holy Spirit to manifest joy in and through you, and you will prove you're a Christian. You'll grow into a godly person, and you'll become an incredible witness for Christ. But James is not done because he says, number two, comprehend the reasons. Comprehend the reasons for reacting differently to difficulties. Comprehend, why should I react with joy? Why should I? Well, James 1, 2 says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Verse 3 now, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Endurance. Knowing. There's the key verb. When a trial hits, you must know some things. Okay, one more time. This is why you're taught. This is why you love the Word. This is why you need to be deep in the Scripture because when a trial hits you, some Bible's got to pop in your head. It's got to be there. You've got to know this. See the verb there? Knowing. It's a command. Know this. Get this down. 
You must think biblically about it. You must acknowledge that Christ is at work in your life and has a good purpose for this plan. He, he has a good purpose for this pain. He has a good purpose for this pressure. This pressure will strengthen me like weights at the gym. Like weights at the gym. So knowing, he says here, you must recall that the Lord is accomplishing His purposes in your life. Knowing that through this hurt, He is accomplishing His purposes. You must comprehend, you must know the reasons for reacting with joy. You have to think about what this trial is doing for you and in you. You've got to think about it. You've got to make that choice. Listen, if you don't make that choice, you're going to miss it. You've got to determine. He says, consider it, but then know this. In the trial, know it. Remember, James begins verse 3, knowing that's not just oida. Uh, in Greek, there's two main verbs for knowing. One is the knowledge of facts, that's oida, and the other one is the knowledge of relationship, gnosko. This is gnosko, this root here. So what he's talking about is knowing is intimate knowledge. It's personal knowledge. It's relational knowledge. Are you getting this? He, he wants you to know that relationally, God is connected to you. He's not just going wham, wham, wham. He's relationally connected to this heartache, this issue, this pressure. He knows you and loves you, and this is an expression of his love. Knowing the Lord knows the number of hairs on your head, for some of you, how few there are. Knowing your Savior's thoughts towards you are exceed the sand of the seashore, right? That's the promise of the Scripture. Knowing that He created you and knows everything about you. He knows every secret, every sin, and yet He still died for you and still saved you and still loves you. It's kind of like a loving parent who spanks a child for their long-term good. It's like a loving doctor who causes some pain in order to fix the bone so that you have long-term strength. It's like the godly mentor who confronts some painful sin in order to help you overcome it. The only way to count it joy is to know the God of joy and is allowing this trial for your best. The only way to count it joy is to know the God of joy and that he intends this for your best. That's how you count it all joy. You must know Christ cares for you, verse 3 and is testing your faith. You see it there, verse 3? Testing is the idea of proving character, showing what's genuine, who's qualified, who's not qualified. It's like melting gold and scraping off the dross. You know, he's cleaning you out. Your faith is tested by fire, uh, and it is tested by selected trials in order to skim off the impurities of your life. Uh, like the queen of Sheba who tested Solomon's wisdom. Like God who tested Abraham's love by asking him to sacrifice Isaac, every single one of you, every one, every true Christian must expect to get jostled in this life. The road to heaven is not smooth, it's rough, all right? It's not a smooth road, and therefore, you're going to get jostled by trials. And Satan, when he tempts you, he wants to bring out your worst. When God tempts you, he wants to bring out your best. He does. Your faith, the testing of your faith, knowing the testing of your faith, verse 3, is not only your reliance on current beliefs in Christ, but your faith here is talking about your level of trust. You ever known somebody who just really trusts the Lord? I mean, you're impressed by the way they rely on Him for everything? They've gone through trials, friends. That's what produced that, the trials in their life. 
Look at what testing did for many of God's people. I mean, you look at Joseph. 13 years of testing. He was sold as a slave by his brothers. Nice. Potiphar's steward and then falsely accused. Put in jail and overlooked for 13 years to make him a king. To make him one who could rule Egypt under Pharaoh. Peter spent three plus years of testing and failure to move from sand to rock, from pebbles to boulder, right? Peter the rock. Paul spent years of testing in the desert to become the greatest theologian, the church leader trainer, and church planting phenomena this world has ever seen. Years in the desert. When you go through your trials, you must know, you must comprehend what? That God is at work for you and in you. God is at work. It helps to verbally speak to the Lord in prayer. It helps to speak to the Lord out loud. I do it. When I get, I get hit with a big one, I stop and I just say, Lord, okay, here's my opportunity. And here's my opportunity to glorify you during difficult things. Help me to get through this. Give me wisdom to get through this. And I want to walk this through so that you would be glorified and that you would accomplish your purposes. I, I say it out loud. Even when other people are looking at me, it doesn't matter. Interesting enough, I want to acknowledge that this sorrow, this hurt, this danger, this disappointment, even this temptation is designed to make me into the person he wants me to become. That's trials. James put it this way, knowing that the testing of your faith produces, see that word produces endurance? These difficulties are designed to produce. They want to produce something in your life, continually work thoroughly to increase you kind of like an apple press to squeeze you really hard so all the juice comes out. It's like an industrial washing machine that tumbles and washes and spins to get the dirt out. Trials produce things in your life. James says you need to admit to your own heart and to the Lord that knowing that the trials will press you, the trials will tumble you about, are working thoroughly in your life to increase your endurance you see it there the testing of your faith produces what endurance now get this endurance doesn't just mean to bear things it actually is talking about strength trials actually turn your flabby spiritual muscles into real muscle that's what they do john macarthur states it this way endurance is a permanent inner quality of strength a permanent inner quality of strength which increases each time a trial is patiently and trustingly endured. Testing of your faith increases your spiritual maturity, your spiritual strength, your quality of faith, and proves the genuineness of your relationship with Christ, intensifying your intimacy with Christ, and making you more like Christ. Every trial is a test of trust. They mature you designed to strengthen you. And if a believer fails the test, then they become an issue, a temptation, a solicitation to evil. If you pass the test, it becomes a divine tool to build your life into greater usefulness for God's glory. Rightly faced trials are building, respond wrongly to trials, and they become temptations to evil. You say, where do you get that from? Verses 13 through 18 of James chapter 1. We'll get there in a little bit. The Greek word endurance comes from two Greek words, and the two words combined are to remain and under. You hear that? To remain under, endurance. The idea is to remain under the weight of the trial. 
God says the trials build up your spiritual maturity and pack you as you learn to remain under the weight. The picture here is, uh, you, you, you've seen it, Olympic gold medal weightlifting. Have you seen the deadlift? Uh, you know, the Russians used to dominate. Uh, now it's not that way anymore. But they, you know, get there and they, they lift that thing up and over their head and they got to hold it there. You don't see this typically by the camera, but there's the, a panel of judges and there's a light below them. And when that light flashes, then they can drop the weight. But until that light flashes, they can't drop the weight. They have to remain under the weight. Well, it's same with you. You stay in the trial until God says, okay, trial done. You just stay, and it builds endurance. Endurance is not just suffering through the trial. It's smiling through the trial, knowing that God's in control, knowing that he has a purpose, knowing that he intends for your best. The response of joy to trials is powerful. Throughout history, prosecutors would comment, and history would give record to Christians who were literally burned alive at the stake and yet smiling through their agony and rejoicing because they were confident that this was God's will. Joy in trial is not giddy. It's not frivolous joy, and nor is it a joy because you get to have another trial. No, the joy that comes in the midst of trials results from a deep well of trusting awareness. Did you get that? Trusting awareness that God is producing great things in your life through this trial, that he loves you, that he has a purpose in this, that it's all for his glory and your good, and that he will produce something in you that is far more worth riches than anything you can imagine. Which is why James adds verse 4 and number 3 in your outline. Number 3, have confidence to mature from reacting differently to difficulties. Have confidence to react differently to difficulties. Responding with all joy causes you believers to radically mature in Christ. Now take a look at it again. Verses 2, 3, and 4. Verse 2, choose to react to your joy Uh, in joy to your difficulties. In other words, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Verse 3, comprehend the reasons for responding in joy to your trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. They will mature you. And now verse 4, have confidence. Your Lord will use your heart of joy in trials to radically transform you. He says, verse 4, take a look now. Let endurance have its perfect result. What's that? so that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. Perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. James commands you again. He commands me. His intimate brothers and assumed sisters in Christ, let trials do their work. Let endurance have its perfect result. Let them do their work. Continually allow this growth of endurance, this maturing of character, this growing up as a Christian come to its completion. Let God do what he's doing. Don't fight him. Submit to it. Come under it. Rejoice in it. Now, perfect result is completing. And James is saying, keep enduring until God finishes his work. Like smelting gold again, allow the trial to cook all the impurities out of your life since it will make you more valuable, it'll make you more useful, and it'll make you more impactful for God's purposes. Respond to trials with joy so trials will do God's intentional work in your life. Listen, the people who are going to be able to rejoice are the ones who understand God's at work 
the people who are going to be miserable as Christians are going to be fighting God in his work and trials. It's really that simple. You come along, you rejoice, you don't, you're going to be miserable. And that's what he is telling us here. Continually allow this endurance to mature you, to mature you, and to grow your character, to come to completion. Again, finishing its work. So what work is that that he's finishing? Well, James tell you he has three goals in trials. See in verse 4, let endurance have its perfect result so that, purpose statement, you may be one perfect, two complete, three lacking in nothing. Listen, anybody else uncomfortable with that word perfect? Okay, me too. Notice the so that. It's a purpose statement. See that there? It's a henna, a purpose statement. Here's the purpose of difficulties or trials. Here are the reasons James says that God gives you trials in your life. Instead of doubting God when you're hit with a difficulty, when you're hit with pressure, when things turn south, when things get difficult, trust him with all your heart. Trust him. Okay? Instead of doubting, trust him. Instead of questioning his control or blaming Satan, embrace his purpose. He causes all things to work together for good, does he not? Instead of allowing yourself to suspect his care for you, how can he care for me and allow this to occur? Instead of that, crawl into his arms because he declares he does care for you. 1 Peter chapter 5. He cares for you. Instead of whining, worship. Instead of grousing, glorify him. Instead of anger, adore him. Adore him. Your trials, your hardships, your difficulties, and mine are for three reasons. First, perfecting you. Perfecting you. Perfect is the word teleos. It means fully developed. Write that down, okay? Fully developed. Mature. Perfect is not talking about sinlessness. It's not talking about spiritual perfection. In the scripture, if a person is teleos or perfect, then they are full grown. Full grown. If an animal is teleos or perfect, then it, it is ready for to be offered as a worship to the Lord. A teleos offering. Perfect. Perfect's the idea of being fit for the task. Uh, the goal of trials is to prepare you for the task. Uh, a ministry, to prepare you for work, uh, a labor for Christ. It's giving you the gas you need to drive. It's causing you to grow mature so you can learn how to help others. It's making you more like Christ, the perfect one, and less like you, the imperfect one. It's making you more like Christ, the perfect one, and less like you, the imperfect one. Phillips, in his commentary, says this, the word perfect carries the idea of being fully developed, of being fully instructed, and fully ready for the task that God designed for you. He's preparing you for his work. He's preparing to use you in greater ways. In fact, Paul said it best, it's one of my favorite verses in the scripture. He beautifully describes spiritual maturity with Galatians 4.19. My children, see it there, with whom I am again in labor until what? Christ is formed in you. Say that with me. Christ is formed in you. That's why he's giving you trials. So that what? Christ would be formed in you. Perfect is Christ formed in you. Perfect is he must increase and you must decrease. Perfecting is what trials do, and they are responded to, and when they're responded to with trusting joy, count it all joy, Christian, God is making you more like his son. 
so you can serve him. Secondly, he's completing you. Completing you. Completing you is removing the weakness. That's what it means. It means removing the imperfections of your character. And let me tell you, friends, you've got plenty of imperfections. Can I hear an amen to that? Man, I own in that. Completing you is training an army so that it's ready to win the battle. Completing you is God using trials as tools to get you ready for spiritual warfare and spiritual ministry. Completing you carries the idea of making you whole, making you entirely complete. The prefix of the Greek word complete is holo, where we get the word for hologram, hologram or holograph, a 360-degree, three-dimensional depiction of an object complete in every way. Complete has the idea of complete in all your parts. Okay, wait, wait, you're not getting this. Complete in all your parts when he says complete. Trials often affect different areas of your life. Not every aspect of your life, but different areas of your life. So God uses trials to complete his work. In you, part by part, he's repairing you. He's making you more like his son in every way. Shoring up weaknesses and sometimes focusing on the parts of your engine that don't function too well. Are you with me on this? That's what he's doing. Yeah, say you've got a great tranny, right? You can shift gears really well, but your tires are too slick. Meaning you're flexible, you can shift, but not stable, you slide. So what's God going to do? He's going to trial up your stability. He's going to give you some tread on your tires. Your responding to joy to trials will then allow the Lord to complete in every single area. So perfect, complete, and then James, because he doesn't want any misunderstanding of what trials do, he adds, thirdly, lacking in what? Nothing. Lacking in nothing. The end result of trials is maturity, completeness, and not lacking anything of spiritual importance or spiritual value. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter 5.10. Look at it. After you have suffered a little while... The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and what? Establish you. Lacking nothing is a verb type that says God is the one who does it. He's going to make you complete. He's going to have you lack nothing. He loves you. He's all wise. He's all powerful. He's in total control. And he will use trials providentially in your life to perfect you, to complete you so that you're lacking nothing. God will use trials to complete what he started, Philippians 1, 6, that he will complete the good work and perfect it until the day of Christ. He's going to finish what he started. One of the great tools of God's sanctification workshop are trials. And they work best when you, number one, choose to react in joy to your difficulties, that you too remember, comprehend, know the reasons for responding in joy to your trials, why you should do that. And then have confidence that your Lord is going to use your heart of joy to trials to radically transform you and finish the work he started. So, take this home, would you? Here we go. Each one of you here listening and those of you who might listen to this later, we're all going to face tragedy in this life. This world is fallen and you're going to face difficulties and great difficulties in your life. How you respond to these trials will make an incredible difference now and it will impact your eternity. It will. So letter A, choosing joy and difficulties is a careful exhortation. I had to say this. Careful exhortation. The worst response you can make today is to attack others in their trials by saying, count it out, joy. 
They just lost their car, their house, their retirement, their spouse. Some horrible thing has happened at their work or their family. And some sincere Christian who thinks that Job's counselors are really awesome <laughs> are going to come and go, count it all joy. Listen, immediately when somebody says that to me, I want to grab a stick and I want to beat them over the head with it. And I want to say, here's some counting of joy I want to give you. In fact, as I'm doing this, it's making me feel better. <laughs> Listen, your job, Christian, is to speak lovingly to each other, to bear each other's burdens, to, to pray for each other, to carefully say, I'll be praying for you, that, that God will use this in a great way in your life, that you'll find his joy and his comfort and if there's anything I can do to help, let me, let me help you. Be careful how you respond to people while they're going through their trial. Be gracious and check back with them and mean what you say. It's a careful exhortation. You hear me? Careful. Letter B, choosing joy and difficulties impact others for Christ. Is James out of his mind? Count it all joy. Some of James' readers have lost their homes. <clears throat> I mean, they're going through incredible heartache. And James desires, though, the world to see Christ through you. We live in a world that worships convenience. We live in a world that seeks to remove all discomfort, relieve any pressure, deny any sorrow, and for the lost to truly notice Christ, we have to be radically different. When we display true Holy Spirit-empowered full joy in the midst of difficulties, discomforts, pressures, sorrows, those without that supernatural ability will notice you. They will. Not silly joy, not forced happiness, but deep and full confidence in God, our salvation, His control, His wisdom, and His love. In the midst of a trial, lets others know that Christ is alive, that Christ is real, and that Christ is the only way of salvation. Let them know by your reaction. God puts you in the hospital. You have the opportunity to be a witness to everyone that's there. God puts you in a workplace and you're going through horrific things. That's your time to shine in your reaction to what's going on in your life. He puts you at a school and it's unfair, it's unjust, there's cruelty there, but it's your opportunity in which to show Christ and what a difference He can make. Count it all joy. Let her see you need to realize that choosing joy and difficulties requires the filling of the Spirit. You trust Christ for your salvation. You need to trust Him for your sanctification. You cannot express supernatural joy unless you're filled with the Spirit. The Christian life is Christ through you, and therefore you need to be dependent upon the Word of God from your heart, relying on the Word, desiring to obey the Word in all things, not just some things, living dependently, living reliantly, living expectantly on the Spirit, confessing all known sin, anything that would separate you relationally from the Lord at that time, making sure that you're right with Him, making sure you're serving others, that you're tender towards Him, you're seeking to proclaim Christ to this world, only relying on the Spirit of God for everything will allow you to see His fruit through you, and only through dependence on the Spirit of God and the Spirit of joy can you manifest joy. It's going to be Him through you. Don't try and work it up on your own. He knows. He makes you dependent. You rely on Him. Don't, don't get bitter and push against Him. Rely on Him. 
and manifest joy. Letter D, choosing joy in difficulties demonstrates wisdom. You can't control your life. Can I hear an amen to that? You can't control your circumstances. You can't control your family. You can't control other people. You can't control your trials. You can't control the circumstances of your life, but you can control your reaction to them. You can. When you do, you demonstrate wisdom, which is exactly what James calls us to next week in verses 5 through 8. And letter E, choosing joy in difficult pressures proves your faith is genuine. Only those in Christ can have a settled conviction to express joy in trials. Some in the church, there are people around you, possibly here today, that are not in Christ, and they are happy. They're faithful. They're even caring when life is easy. But when life gets hard, they become unfaithful. Sometimes they fade away. They disappear. Or they get critical. They become inward. Where are you at? If life gets tough, do you disappear or do you depend? When your church expects you to obey God's word, do you recede or do you resolve? Does commitment fire you up or does it frighten you away? Because true believers demonstrate that their faith is genuine when they respond to trials with joy. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you again for this word, this passion, this portion of Scripture that speaks so plainly and directly to all of our lives. Lord, thank you for James and his boldness to speak directly, to call us to a higher view of the circumstances of our life. Father, there's almost a dread on my part to speak through this because of trials that come. And yet at the same time, Lord, we want to manifest joy. We want to manifest trust and faith. And a God who's absolutely sovereign, a God who's absolutely at work providentially causing all things to work together. And Father, we would pray that no matter what happens in our life, that it would drive us even deeper into dependence and intimacy upon you that we would find a new level of joy and a new level of trust and a new level of maturity. maturity. And Father, we pray that you would glorify yourself with our reaction to this passage. Though it's familiar to many of us that we would look at it again in a new light, reminding ourselves that you know what you're doing. This isn't a mistake. This is all intentional that everything is pre-designed specifically just for us to respond in joy and to grow to be more of your man or your woman. And Father, for those in our midst, maybe younger, maybe older, who don't know you or think they know you, but they have no resources when trials hit, would you drive them to depend upon you, to realize that that's why you came? that you provided salvation for us, that it's not something that we work up, but that you do. 
that you died in our behalf, that you were our substitute, that you bore the wrath for our sin, that you rose from the dead, and when our sin falls on you, that you can cover us in your righteousness, and that you can also and will also change us internally so we can know your love and know your joy. Father, please help us to leave here convinced that you love us, that you're all wise, that you don't make mistakes, that you're all powerful and working in every circumstance. And help us to remain remembering that this week, this month, this year. Trust you for no matter what comes. And we'll give you all the glory for what you'll do. We thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.